Mongrel, miscegenator, half-breed, outcast, deviant, heretic. Our words for hybridity are so often epithets. They shouldn't be. Hybrids need not be the problem. It could be the solution. Hybrids do more than embody mixtures between groups. Hybrids reveal the boundaries between groups to be false. And this is vital, for creativity comes from intermingling, from rejecting the lifelessness of purity. Mosin Hamid, Discontent and its Civilizations. Next time they ask you where you're from, you tell them I'm from every goddamn place you're crushing with your thumb. And if they wonder who you are, well, this time don't say nothing, you just pick up your guitar. Welcome to White Adjacent. I'm your host, David Shams, an Iranian-American writer and wannabe podcaster, born and raised in the heart of Kentucky's bourbon country. Growing up in my rural Kentucky hometown, there were whites, blacks, and then us with our Iranian immigrant father and white American mother. It took moving away from my hometown to realize there were others like us, struggling to figure out what it meant to have competing identities, what it meant to be hyphenated, what it meant to straddle whiteness and otherness, what it meant to be white adjacent. On this episode, I'm joined by Susie Ziai, uh, an Iranian-American living in Washington, D.C. Susie and her siblings grew up in the DMV area. Their experience was a little different than most of us halfies, though. Uh, both parents are immigrants. Um, their dad is from Iran and their mom is from Poland. And Susie spent most of her life navigating the challenges of not just being white adjacent, but also handling the complexities of two parents who are immigrants. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I guess I'll start uh, where I start with pretty much everybody else. Um, what it was like growing up being Iranian American in the DMV area, um, and then how that those challenges have kind of changed as you've gotten older, or have they stayed the same? Yeah. So I feel like I was lucky in that the DMV is generally pretty diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of immigrants from different mm-hmm. countries, and so um, growing up my parents kind of gravitated towards um, friends who also were immigrants as well. Mm -hmm. So um, kind of our best family friends were not only Iranian or Polish, but also Armenian, Mm -hmm. Russian, German. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So has that kind of changed now or is it still pretty much the same that you've, you kind of, your friend group is like that or your parents are still hanging out with the same circle of friends? Um, I think the sure, the, uh, the circle has moved like a little bit for my parents, but mm-hmm. they're still, they still have a lot of those old friendships that I mm-hmm. think come out of coming to a country and, and struggling to adjust or, or trying to make it. And, mm-hmm. and so I think that there's probably a bond that's forged there. Um, and then now I would say I have like a pretty mixed group of friends yeah. as well. Probably not as many like immigrants themselves, but um, definitely many of my friends' parents. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. You, you also mentioned uh, when we had a conversation a few weeks ago uh, about um, that you all kind of, and, and maybe I, in my notes, I, I typed it up and used the, those words myself, but you kind of grew up in your own like Petri dish where like you're, uh, 
family, both your mom's side and your dad's side weren't really around. And so you had to kind of grow up in your own like nuclear family and not um, like you didn't have any other family around to kind of help shape your identity. Could you go into that a little bit more and, and talk about what that was like growing up, like kind of in your own, lack of a better term, bubble, I guess? Yeah, definitely. And I've always kind of thought of that. So you're not getting that from, from nowhere. <laughs> okay. um, but yeah, like our home was kind of its own world mm-hmm. and space. Um, and all of our extended family has always lived in different countries. Like we barely have anyone in the States. The closest mm-hmm. is like my mom's sister is in Montreal. Right. Um, and then my Iranian family is almost all still in Iran. Okay. Um, so I think, and we talked about this in that conversation, but it's, it was almost like it was just my normal mm-hmm. that, you know, we always had like the long distance calls on the weekends. Right. Um, and my Polish grandparents could come and mm-hmm. they would stay for months at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really wasn't able to have that with my Iranian family like right. due to politics and, right. and things like that. And so that really has highlighted kind of the difference in terms of like those immigrant experiences mm-hmm. here, just because like I didn't have access to half of my family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think uh, the reason why I reached out to you in the first place to, to have this deeper conversation is that uh, I think when we first met, we had a pretty deep, deep conversation about uh, growing up Iranian American and, and having to, um, engage our Iranian side from almost from a distance. Um, and, uh, I think either one of us or both of us use the term void, uh, and we're like, so slowly trying to build that void. And, um, can you go into that, talk about that and like, talk about what it was like trying to explore your Iranian side? Uh, and we can get into the Polish side too, as, as well, because I think that's also important in this conversation, but we can start with the Iranian side. Yeah. So they kind of play hand in hand just because it wasn't, it was an interesting like point of reference Mm -hmm. for like a, for a comparison. Um, yeah, like we definitely had Iranian family friends growing up, but, but there were, none were really like my age. And I think it just kind of happened Mm -hmm. to be that way. But, um, and you know, like we would, celebrate holidays and mm-hmm. like Noru's got the same attention that like Vigilia, which is like Polish Christmas okay. um, would get, but it was kind of within our family. And I think a big part that has kind of added to that void that I feel is the fact that like, I don't speak Farsi that mm-hmm. well. Right. Um, and that has definitely contributed to me sometimes like self opting out Mm-hmm. or it did at a certain point, like I was a little bit hesitant to try and engage with the Iranian American community. That was like my age because I didn't really felt like I didn't really feel like I fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas it's interesting because like I did grow up speaking Polish mm-hmm. um, fluently. And so that was a way in which I did connect with that side. But at the same time, I look much more Iranian than Mm -hmm. I do Polish. And so it's like, if I go to Poland, I definitely stand out Mm -hmm. in terms of not looking like everyone else. Or if someone hears me speaking, they're kind of confused just because I don't look like what that would be. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, I think that's also 
in terms of being Iranian, like mm-hmm. we'll, and we'll probably get into this mm-hmm. as well, but like you kind of based on what you look like mm-hmm. and, or maybe like your last name, like mm-hmm. mine, there have been situations where I've been like, you know, questioned or targeted in mm-hmm. certain ways um, that I wasn't, I don't, in yeah, okay. from my Polish side. Right. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, there's so many different angles I can take right now. So I guess um, we can come back to the the name thing because that's also important. Uh, I think some, several of the people that I've spoken with have, have talked about how um, the name issue, whether it's your last name or, or having a first name that stands out that, that really kind of gets you, draw some attention, but you, you've actually, you, you talked about taking uh, Persian classes before uh, when you were younger um, and that there were some, you felt like that you still stood out even when going to those Persian classes. Can you walk me through that a little bit as well? Um, yeah. So we grew up really speaking Polish and Farsi. And Mm. then, and I think we had mentioned this before, but Mm. like, I think gender roles play a dynamic Mm. as well because like my dad worked a lot more than my mom did. And so like the Farsi kind of faded and like mm-hmm. they tried like we went to I went to Polish school on Saturdays and we were going to Farsi school on Sundays mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. as children like <laughs> you can imagine yeah um we did not like two more days of, right. of school <laughs> um but um what was Persian school like was it just like you go in for two or three hours and you have a, a teacher at a chalkboard or was it a little bit more collaborative um from what I can remember mm-hmm. Like there was a chalkboard, but there were also, there was like reading books mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but. And were, were the classes like mixed uh, with um, kids who were already speaking a little bit of Persian or, uh, or kids that were like 100% Iranian? Um, yeah, I think so. Okay. Honestly, like it was so long ago. <laughs> um, I don't. That's usually what I get when I ask people is that it's been so long. So. Yeah. And also yeah. you've. I don't know. I feel like if you're a child and it's annoying you, like you probably block out some of it right. to some degree. Okay. Um, but yeah. And then in, when I was in college, I, during the summer, like mm-hmm. tried to take, well, I did take a class, um, like here by DuPont. Mm-hmm. Um, and was it, um, MEI, Middle East Institute, Middle East Institute, or like the language Institute? It was ILI international okay. language Institute, I Get think. Okay. Um, and that was funny because I was the only Iranian in the class. Mm -hmm. And so like, it's just always this awkward, like I knew it was a beginner class Mm -hmm. and I knew a lot more than a beginner would. Right. But I was like, I should probably just try and go from the most basic. Right. And so I was like more advanced than everyone else. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, I don't know. I still like, I get embarrassed or I don't have the confidence. Would Um, you say that like, um, like with the language and, and, access to the Iranian culture, would you feel that like when you go into a setting that you feel almost like there's like an imposter syndrome where you don't feel like you're enough of what you should be? Yeah. 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 Okay. I do. And I've tried to, I've tried to temper that and Mm -hmm. like fight against it. And like going back to a couple of questions ago, I guess like probably more so in college, like I started connecting with mm-hmm. my identity more. Mm-hmm. Um, what led to that? What led you to, to want to, uh, 
I don't want to use the term embrace because you, you already were, but like digging a little deeper into it. Yeah, no. And I don't think, I don't think embrace is like totally the wrong term mm-hmm. because also growing up and like post nine 11 and like during mm-hmm. the Iraq war and things like that, there was, I definitely know there were times when I like wished I wasn't different and mm-hmm. I wished I didn't have this because it made things harder. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you experience hurtful things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't, I don't know to some degree what led me to want to, but I, I think that there is now maybe this more coming to like appreciating who you are and where mm-hmm. you've come from. Yeah. Um, and so also just being exposed to like different types of people as well, right. more so in college than like, I grew up going to like mostly white mm-hmm. Catholic schools right. um, where I was kind of an outlier. Mm-hmm. So um, did you feel like you had to kind of temper your Iranianness or Polishness and try to like, to try to blend in or were you just like, um, like probably a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with my close friends and my, the good friends that I have from those time periods, mm-hmm. um, not, not really mm-hmm. like I had friends that didn't, didn't, I don't know, like put me in a box mm-hmm. for that right. or, um, didn't care or liked it. Like mm-hmm. my friends loved coming over and, um, eating. Right. They didn't see it as a, <laughs> as a knock or a negative. They saw it as just like another, you know, added benefit to, to who you were as a person. Yeah, I think so. Yep. Okay. We've talked a lot offline, not in the studio, of course, uh, about what life was like growing up in that specific setting. Um, and one of the things that stands out in, in not just your conversation, but with a lot of others and, and including Mon, uh, is that our moms or the person who wasn't Iranian uh, usually has played a big role in embracing our, or at a minimum, at least uh, introducing you to the um, other culture. Right. So, um, and you've talked a lot about how your mom like started to learn Persian, how she is cooking Persian food. Um, Can you go into talking about how supportive she's been and the sorts of things that she's embraced and, and what, that was like for you as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, my mom definitely kind of adopted, Mm -hmm. um, our Iranian side and, Mm -hmm. and has oftentimes like even been the one like following the politics the most and Mm -hmm. would be like sending out emails and like family group texts to all of us of like, you know, like call your senator, (laughs) call, (laughs) call Jerry Connolly right now. Um, but yeah, she, I mean, I think after she married my dad, she learned how to cook over the years, like mm-hmm. just about everything. Right. Um, and we grew up eating way more Persian food mm-hmm. than anything else. Uh, why is that? What made her like Persian food more than any other cuisine or Polish food for that matter? Um, I think <laughs> I can't necessarily speak for her, but from what she's said uh-huh. anecdotally, like it's 
it's lighter, like mm-hmm. it's more complex right. in flavors. Yeah. It just so it's just better. Yeah, so it's just better. <laughs> you, you can say that. Um, so you you talk about how uh, your family has always been, or like your mom was like politi- politically uh, active or aware. Um, and then you go in to talk about how foreign policy has been kind of a focus in the way that you, um, you know, shape your, uh, image of a politician. Um, like what, what led you to that? What made you feel that foreign policy was, um, important in a political, in a politician's platform? Um, yeah. Um, What led me to that? Yeah. Just, I think, like, the politics around Iran Mm -hmm. and and foreign policy um, have been, like, very active. Mm -hmm. And as I was, I was already kind of interested Mm -hmm. in that. But as I learned more about the history and... um, more about why things are the way they are and the relations between the two mm-hmm. countries um, kind of highlighted a lot of injustices and misconceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've now more like reflected on or kind of post um, like I think I was com- like when I was in college was when all, were when all like the JCPOA discussions mm-hmm. were going on. Right. Um, and so probably like my critical thinking and, and such was like a little bit more elevated at that point than right. it, than it had been. Um, but that was always very active in my house. I also think from kind of a basic standpoint of like, we're worried about our family mm-hmm. Um, and that's like a very real concern is like, there's always an anxiety in my home about like, if there's some sort of military action, Mm -hmm. um, we've seen it happen over and over again and to their neighbors. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and there's very much, um, I think it's almost a fact to say that, that like administrations have, valued brown lives a lot far less right you know it's not that big of a deal to you know strike right it's like whenever a wedding with a drone yeah like whenever we bomb afghanistan or whenever there's an event in afghanistan an attack there and you know it's barely a blip on the on the news and you know two three hundred four hundred people will die right so i totally understand that um and and you also talk about how it's shaped your um, like view of other issues, other movements, and how like because of that uh, feeling of unfairness or bias in the way that we approach our issue with Iran, like you have felt kind of solidarity with other uh, other issues as well. Can you describe that and, and, and walk me through some of those um, some of those issues, some of those causes as well? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, So I think what we had talked about was like in the, in seeing like the injustice of media portrayal, Mm -hmm. I definitely felt a solidarity like with the Palestinian Mm -hmm. movement just because the coverage is so lopsided. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's definitely one of those otherwise 
like in thinking about how the media portrays certain issues or certain countries mm-hmm. and and how I don't know, I've reflected a lot on like how negative, at least in terms of like Iranian coverage, mm-hmm. like how negative everything mm-hmm. always was. Right. And like we kind of talked about this, but how my family was so, so, so deeply sad, like when Anthony Bourdain passed. Right. Because it his episode on Iran was like one of the first yep. or one of the only times where someone goes and it's like really highlighting the beauty and mm-hmm. the complexity and um how rich the culture is. Mm-hmm. Um and sorry, that's just like kind of going off on a tangent. But like I even think about that when talking about when you see what's going on in the media with like Russia and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Like I can't help but think you know, like they're always saying the Russians, the Russians, mm-hmm. this, the Russians, that. And it's like, right. okay, but like, how must someone who's Russian feel like here yeah. living or like Russian American living yeah. here? Like, I don't know. Right. Yeah. I get that. That that makes sense that you feel like they're because of the media portrayal uh, and this like negative bombardment of like negative, like connotations or negative stories about what's happening in Iran or what's happening in another country. And like, you feel this, sort of attachment or compassion or, or linkage to other groups that are, that are having the same sorts of sorts of issues. Um, it's pretty interesting. Like I've, I've, I've also felt that way on, on certain issues. Um, I won't jump into it, but, um, it's interesting to have it, someone else verbalize that as well. So, um, let's see here. You've also talked like, um, getting into the kind of the, the Polish side that there are, um, dynamics there where like, um, your mom has talked about how there's limits to her own privilege. Um, and the fact that yes, she's white, but she speaks with an accent. Um, and I thought that was like, that was towards the tail end of our first conversation that we had. And and I wanted to kind of expand on that a little bit and and hear you talk about that a a little bit more. Yeah. So I think, she is obviously privileged Mm -hmm. in, in the way that she is white. And like, Mm -hmm. I mean, so am I like I'm white passing. Yep. Exactly. Um, It's white adjacent. So, (laughs) so um, there's definitely a lot of privilege there, but then um, she's just described like certain situations Mm -hmm. where sometimes it's pretty benign. Like you're in the grocery Mm -hmm. line checking out and like just by speaking or saying, you know, thank you. Or how are you? Like Mm -hmm. someone feels compelled to like ask you where you're from. And it's just kind of like, okay. Um, How do you feel about that? Whenever someone asks those questions, like, where are you from? Uh, I don't love it. (laughs) It it depends on context, I guess. Um, and like how deep the conversation has Mm -hmm. been. Um, but like my parents were always sensitive to it Mm, because they were like, I've lived here for 30 years, like, right. and we're not, we're not in, this is a very surface level interaction mm-hmm. and it's not really your business. Right. Um, it's kind of like just pointing out yeah. your difference or that someone doesn't necessarily belong right. is my, I'm ascribing that to that, yeah. but, okay. um, but yeah, like, and I always like cringe when I hear other people do it just because mm-hmm. And I don't think everyone feels the same way about it. Right. I'm sure there are people who are not bothered, right. but, um, yeah, it's just interesting because I hear like different people 
like you said, have different perspectives. Um, like I do that probably I ask people where they're from more than I should because I'm genuinely curious and mm-hmm. figuring out how to like make a connection with that person as opposed to like isolating them. Whereas yeah. like, I totally understand that like, cause I grew up in the South <laughs> and like the, you ain't from around here is usually the next like, <laughs> thing after that. Or like when my dad was in college and he was looking for a place to stay cause he went to university in, in, in Murray, Kentucky. Uh, this older woman was like, you know, you seem like a nice guy, but I can't rent to you. Hmm because you're not from here. Yeah. So, um, you know, those sorts of things, I, I can totally understand where it can be like a, um, make you feel like you're isolated or like being singled out for whatever. Um, but yeah, it's definitely interesting to see how, how that, how that goes. And then, um, you said that you're, you had more access to like your grandparents on your mom's side and, and that they would come often. And that kind of helped you engage your, um, Polishness a little bit more. Um, and you know, you've gone a few times, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, and you kind of mentioned a little bit about how, how you stand out sometimes or how you feel like you're, you're standing out, but like, because you can speak Polish, you have a little bit more access. Um, can you talk about a little bit about, um, how those experiences in Poland or with the Polish culture has, has helped shape your, your broader identity as well? Um, yeah, I think just (laughs) to know that there's some, like a little bit of tension there, but because of the certain like political situations there. Yeah. uh, It's, it's hard. And I think my mom also struggles a little bit with not feeling like resentful mm -hmm. of the, not of the people, but like of the nation in Mm -hmm. terms of like kind of it's the bend towards fascism Mm -hmm. um that that we're seeing just because like she's married into you know her kids are half iranian Mm -hmm. like for me it's it's like sad because i don't my dad's muslim so like when you know that there's this growing anti-Muslim, mm-hmm. um, sentiment. Like, I don't know. It's, mm-hmm. it's a weird, it's weird waters to navigate. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think, uh, like I said before, like being from the South and my mom being white, that's similar things have kind of like happened where, um, like I am resentful, but I know my mom is like much more resentful because like she, is having to be around people who she cared about, who look at her children as invaders essentially. So, um, I I totally understand that. And, um, yeah, it's definitely like a, it's definitely like a point of tension for, for me. Uh, and I can only imagine that it would be for, for you and, and, and your mom as well. Um, uh, we've talked about, uh, language is access. Um, I think we've hit all the, the, the points there, uh, growing up in a kind of a Petri dish that, uh, um, just the fact that it was your nuclear family and you're kind of having to shape everything your own. Uh, we've talked a little bit about food, which I'm going to get into in a second at the, at the end of the show, <laughs> the end of the interview, um, just to kind of like end on a kind of light, <laughs> funny, uh, 
jovial mood because sometimes this can get a real like really um intense and yeah. you know <laughs> uh which gets me into the next thing is uh that some of the other people that i've talked to about this uh even offline before i've recorded them um they talk about how like this is some sort of like feels like a support group <laughs> or like yeah. some therapy <laughs> so um like <laughs> w- would you agree with that or like what would you like like how did you feel when you finally started talking about some of these issues? Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's also, it's nice to connect with people who can understand, mm-hmm. I don't know, like beyond my siblings or mm-hmm. who we don't even necessarily talk about it mm-hmm. that much. Um, but yeah, it's, it's affirming to mm-hmm. like, kind of find a community that you can discuss these things with. <laughs> right. Right. Um, when was the first time you started like actually having these sorts of conversations with people or what um, led you to start to kind of discuss these elements? I think again, probably in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I myself was becoming more politically active, mm-hmm. Um, like, I feel like I've met most of my friends who are Iranian or half Iranian, like via political organizing that has Mm -hmm. to do with the community. Right. Um, and so I think I kind of felt like at a certain point I couldn't, not that I was trying to ignore it, but like my fears about like not being accepted or not being like Iranian enough Mm -hmm. were not as important right. as trying to make change or mm-hmm. like have my voice count. Mm-hmm. So basically you're, you're saying, uh, that, um, you kind of, you felt like there was a greater cause and a greater purpose. And so whatever, um, you know, whatever hang up you had about language just kind of went away because this issue of diplomacy with Iran or, or, or tension with Iran that, that could resolve or help you resolve some of your own, um, like not non-linguistic issues, um, or help resolve some of the concerns or stressors that you had that kind of made you like jump into the deep end, I guess. Yeah. And I've never really articulated that before, but <laughs> you just kind of said it. <laughs> I didn't mean to, I was trying to, I was, you know, we're trying to have a, a conversation interview and hope, hopefully that we can, we can, uh, put some words together, I guess, and figure out better ways to explain it. But um, that's the therapy part. <laughs> that's the therapy part. Exactly. That's called uh, a breakthrough. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's, that's kind of interesting. Um, I just, you know, um, like the whole like void issue, the whole, um, you know, looking for ways to make tiny connections within the community that you weren't able to before. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I guess the other things that I, that I wanted to talk about is like your interpersonal relationships and how you've formed them with people and what sorts of, I don't want to say triggers, but what sorts of things you look for when like, building relationships with people who maybe aren't Iranian American or understand the, the, the complexities of being multi-ethnic or mm. white adjacent or mm-hmm. um, hyphenated. Yeah. 
So I think I've had lots of practice just because I was in a lot of like majority white yeah. um, spaces um, growing up. But I think generally um, in terms of things I look for, it's a, I, I guess it's never super conscious or it probably is, but mm-hmm. at the same time it's become subconscious. But right. like... I generally, if if people aren't, I don't know, or don't share mm-hmm. those um, complexities of identity, like mm-hmm. generally like an empathy mm-hmm. um, towards other people, right. understanding, um, just down to earth. Right. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. The word empathy comes up a lot in a lot of conversations that I've had, that I've had with the other um hyphenated people, not just the group of people that I'm interviewing, uh, but also just in general. Um, so it's interesting, like that I'm hearing that word a lot. Uh, so, um, it's pretty fascinating. (laughs) Keeps coming up. Um, just like the fact that like you can talk to someone, whomever it may be, and they just either get it or have a, a general understanding that, that they don't, uh, what's the term? they won't automatically assume because they've never felt that feeling before. They just, that it's not true. Yeah. Um, and that happens a lot. Uh, unfortunately with, uh, in interactions with, with white people. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, um, yeah, definitely like for me as well, it like creates this whole sort of, you know, if someone isn't empathetic to another person's plight, then, it makes it difficult to like continue spending time with that person. Yeah. So, all right. Um, and let's see here. Um, yeah, I guess I can like go through these like quick questions here and, and kind of, uh, kind of get us on a goofy note here. Sure. <laughs> um, so, um, favorite home cooked meal. Mm, Adas. Adas polo. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you mind explaining what Adas polo is for the non Iranian listeners? Um, it is rice um, with, it's, I'm thinking of the right one, right? You tell me. With Adas is lentils, right? Yes. Okay. Do you do raisins and, and yeah, raisins, raisins and, and onions? And then sometimes people do chicken yes. and dates. I don't think we do dates, Okay, but definitely raisins. All right. Um, yeah. Uh, also when your mom cooks Persian food, um, has, what is your dad? Like, how does he describe it? Does he talk about it in a, like, is it as good as his parents or as his mom's or like, has this, I think you said your aunt came for a little bit. How, how was her like views of your mom's, uh, cooking? Yeah, no, I think that she liked it. Like okay. she made, I feel like the only time that she actually ended up cooking my aunt was like, she made lubia. Okay. Um, that's cherry. No, that's not cherries. That's uh green beans. Yeah. Green okay. beans. Okay, Got it. Um, but no, my dad loves it. Okay. Yeah. So know that's like a big thing within the community is like, it's gotta be as good as hit like the parents, the grandparents. Yeah. And then sometimes people will like, will come and visit and like critique the food. <laughs> so. Yeah, no. And, and that's actually not to get sad, but we haven't had, much family at all be able right. to come visit. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
like my, I think it's important for people to know those. So like, Mm -hmm. especially with in light of the ban Mm -hmm. and the travel ban, like my dad has lived here for over 30 years and has only had two relatives ever be able to come visit. Yeah. That's, um, uh, was, uh, at some point going to get to that to talk about how difficult it is. Uh, even like you said before, uh, the Muslim ban, um, I had a, on my dad's side, uh, a relative who during, uh, the Shah's time was banned from coming to the U S because he was in the two day party, which is communist. Mm. Uh, and then, under the Carter administration, there were some like he was able to to come in and visit. And mm-hmm. then, of course, at the end of the Carter administration was a revolution. So he had to flee Iran anyway, ended up in, in, in Europe. And he hasn't been able to come to the U.S. or has wasn't able to come to the U.S. after that point because of his ties to hmm. Communist Party. So it's it's really, yeah, it's a really weird, not weird, but it's really unfortunate uh, because I think that our situations are similar in that you know, we still have family in Iran that we would like to, to see. And in, in your situation, it's most of your dad's family, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I guess we talked a little bit about Persian and Polish food and that you think Persian food is better than <laughs> Polish food. Is there any like redeeming qualities to Polish food? Or is there anything that you like that's... <laughs> yeah, no, I do. I okay. do. Um, it's just different. It's not like... It's pretty heavy, right? It's pretty it's heavy. Of, yeah. So it's just not something that like my mom likes to eat uh-huh. okay, and, or like she, do, she does in, in doses. And, yeah. What and, sorts of things does she, does she make? Well, so like for Vigilia, which is like Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, uh, is it an Eastern Orthodox, uh, mm-mm. or is it? Okay. No, it's Roman Catholic. Got it. So we make pierogi, mm-hmm. which you probably are familiar yep. with. Um, but we make those from scratch, which is really hard work. Yeah, okay. Um, it takes like, hours, but we make a lot and we always make, um, like plates for our neighbors cause okay. they love them too. Yeah. Um, and so those usually are, wouldn't, we would make like half, um, that are like potato and cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, and then half that have cabbage and mushroom. Okay. Um, and then there's like a beet borscht mm-hmm. that, and then like a potato salad okay. too. Okay. Got it. So I love all of those things, but we don't also like pierogi is just super labor intensive. So it's not really something you could make that regularly. Yeah. Um, Favorite Persian restaurant in the area or anywhere in the, in the country. Um, I haven't been to that many in the country, but I, it's like a tie between Albor's and Amu's. Okay. Um, I like Amu's kebabs better. Okay. But, um, uh, Albor's is Kashkabadam John is like, it's pretty good. Yeah. I have not been to Albor's yet. So oh, you should. I've been to Shamshiri, which they're kind of, aren't they linked? Yes. Okay. They were the same, I think owners. And then I don't know what happened. There was a split <laughs> of some sort. Uh, not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we've been to Shamshiri is good too. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Um, favorite place to eat in the city. It doesn't have to be Persian food. Ooh. We've already gone through that. So. I'm so bad on the spot. <laughs> um, I like Zenebek, the Ethiopian place okay. on 18th. Okay. Uh, in Adams Morgan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. Where is, where in Adams Morgan is it located? Um, It's like by the mellow mushroom. Okay. Yeah. I think I know where you're talking side. about. 
Uh, close to the Don Bori. Is it close? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Uh, and then, um, favorite place to visit. Just anywhere. Anywhere. Could be anywhere. Like if you could go anywhere on vacation, like tomorrow. Uh, I loved Mexico city and uh-huh. I didn't spend nearly enough much and nearly enough time there. Okay. So I would so love to go back, go back to Mexico city. Um, so I'm a big, uh, like scent sense on like, if you smell something and like, it brings you nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Is there something that like the instant that you have a scent that you go by or like it kind of wafts through the air that it, you're drawn to like a specific like time period or you get a little bit of nostalgia over? Um, the smell of like rose water and pistachios mm-hmm. yeah. reminds me of Bastani. Okay. <laughs> like what's it like uh, being eating it with your family at a restaurant or like my dad actually used to make it oh, wow. like okay. we had an, we had an ice cream maker yeah. at one point. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it just like reminds me of being a little kid. Mm-hmm. All right. Awesome. It's also a strong like f- fragrance. So it it's is hard. very much. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's hard not to like immediately have a reaction. Yeah. It's like the, <laughs> what is it? Ma- the Maziar Bahari, uh, the book that he wrote about, being imprisoned in Iran, like every time he s- smells rose water now, he like thinks of the guy that like captured him. I know it's a different, oh my god, it's a different nostalgia, <laughs> That's but so like dark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like yeah, so for for mine, and I told this in a, in another interview I did was um, the uh, smell of like distilleries. Oh, like I automatically like get transported back to being you know ten years old in my hometown. That so, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Uh, Another like conversation topic and because I sent you the article, but, uh, and it kind of goes along with what we're talking about, the LA times piece about, um, the census labeling Arabs and Iranians as as white, uh, but people don't feel that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that, you know, uh, I never really got your thoughts on that. I just kind of sent it to you and you were saying I was going to send it to you. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I was like getting ready to send it to you. And then I saw that you were like the last quoted person in the news and I was like, Oh, I think he knows about it. (laughs) Yeah. What, what sorts of feelings did you, um, like reading it? What did it invoke? Um, it felt really validating Mm -hmm. just because that is my lived experience Mm -hmm. of like not quite feeling like I fit in definitely different Mm -hmm. and like still being in almost everything like for school, for Mm -hmm. standardized tests, things like that is like for college admissions, you had to do that over and over again. Mm -hmm. Um, and I even like, I recently took the LSAT Mm -hmm. and they had like more whatever, when you're like making the account to make the test to Mm -hmm. sign up for the test, Mm -hmm. it was like they had the specifications like below white Caucasian Mm -hmm. and like one of those was middle Eastern. And so it's like, okay, so like I have to pick that, like it's under Mm -hmm. that. Right. Um, yeah, it's just kind of frustrating because Mm -hmm. you're yes. I, I definitely recognize, sorry, my privilege in, (laughs) in that, um, right. Like walking around, I'm not policed. Right. Um, in the same way that, um, like black people are. Right. Um, but then there are certain times like in an airport right. where, which you alluded to earlier and, um, we can circle back and talk yeah, about it. Yeah. Where that comes back where, I mean, I, I had 
an incident where an immigration, um, whatever the officer at immigration mm -hmm. was like questioning me about where my last name was from. And mm -hmm. then that immediately turned into like, when was the last time you were in Iran? Yeah. Um, and in a situation where you're like, literally they're deciding if they're going to let you back in the country or <laughs> right. not, yeah. um, feels scary. Yeah. Uh, so, and I don't think many like actually white people have to deal with that. Right. Um, or the fact that my family can't visit me. Mm -hmm. Um, or, and if I got married, like they couldn't come to the wedding. Right. Um, those are very re real things where like I'm a citizen and yet I still don't have the same rights in, in that sense. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So it's frustrating to have to like over and over again, mm -hmm. like be told to pick white when you just don't feel like yeah. that's fair or yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. How would, how would you describe the conversations that you've had with your dad about that? Does he, um, do like what other Iranian parents say and they're like, Oh, we're white. And you're just like, mm, sure. <laughs> um, I think that used to be, I definitely remember hearing that mm -hmm. like a long time ago. Um, and I can't say that we've necessarily talked about it more recently. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think he would definitely like agree that we're not treated the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the thinking had evolved on that over mm -hmm. the years. Right. Yeah. It's definitely fascinating to, to, to watch and, and, and like see how, um, you know, one, the older generation tends to pursue this idea that, that we are white, um, or see whiteness as something that we are supposed to try to achieve. Uh, whereas our generation is just like, we're, we're never going to be white and we've accepted that. And we're like moving on yeah. <laughs> to something where we're just like, all right, well, like give us an option where we can like not have to check white. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. So, um, it's just, it is, it is fascinating how that develops, how, you know, and, and maybe it's something more in the like Im immigrant mentality where they see whiteness as the what you're supposed to achieve or is that's like, we've made it. So we're white. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it would be interesting to, to take a deeper dive into what shapes, uh, our community's perception of like what whiteness is or isn't. Um, and I guess, um, Netta Magbalet's book kind of talks about that a little yeah. bit and discusses that idea of whiteness as something to achieve, or there's some sort of like racialized, issue with it. Yeah. So. And like that book definitely put words to feelings that mm -hmm. I'd had that I'd never really had. I didn't have like the data to back mm -hmm. it up, but I mean, even just going through like the history within the U S of, mm -hmm. of Iranian Americans was yeah. like, I learned so much about, about that and that mm -hmm. struggle. Right. Um, and so, yeah. And I almost feel like with my dad, he work so much and has worked so much that like, it's one of those things where I don't even know if he's necessarily had the luxury to like sit around and think, think about, about it, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. But okay. I would like to give him the book to read and mm -hmm. see what he thinks. Yeah. It would be interesting. Um, we can circle back at some point mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> later in the future. 
uh, to see how, how he's thought about that. Because, uh, like I said, I think it's interesting to see how, um, the different generation generations of Iranians who've come here and how their perceptions of what success is has changed. And, um, yeah. And like some of the older ones are just like, yeah, we're white. And then like the ones maybe even in your father's generation are just kind of like, eh, maybe. Yeah. And then we're, <laughs> and then we're just like, no, <laughs> yeah, like we don't get the same benefits as everyone else. So, but the, the book we're talking about, if in case that, um, uh, listeners haven't, um, heard about it, it's called the limits of whiteness by, uh, Nana Bagbule. She's a sociology professor professor at the university of toronto hopefully i get that right um i think that's right excellent book it kind of uh like Susie said changed uh my perceptions changed our perceptions of or or gave us like validity to what we've been feeling for um quite some time um thank you for coming on i really appreciate it i know that um you've uh taken or you've been pretty busy studying for the lsat work is kind of uh is crazy. So yeah. I do appreciate you taking the time uh, a few weeks ago to sit down and talk a little bit about this uh, and kind of get the ball rolling with that. And then also coming here today to, to, you know, record an interview. <laughs> 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 um, and uh, definitely these things have been uh, therapeutic for, for me. Uh, hopefully it, it is for you as well. Uh, hopefully it is for people who listen to the, to the uh, series of interviews. Um yeah. Thanks for coming. Hope Thank you, have, you for have having a great day. me. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for the therapy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Fantastic. Um, yeah. Again, thank you for coming. I remember when I first met Susie, we had gathered for a volunteer training with the National Iranian American Council. If I'm honest, I don't remember exactly what the training entailed, but I do remember walking away with a deep sense of connection, unity really, after I was paired up with Susie for a training exercise. We both embraced our Iranianness with open arms, but because our Persian skills weren't that great, we were apprehensive to get involved with the Iranian-American community. Our conversation focused on the idea that we felt this void, an empty space really, where our Iranianness was supposed to be. This was primarily due to the dearth of actual experiences with our, our Iranian side. We both grew up in isolation from our respective families, mine mostly in California, hers still in Iran, stuck on the other side of the world, unable to come because of the heavy-handed immigration policies enacted since the revolution. When I started thinking about this project, she was one of the first people I reached out to. I used our initial conversation to build on the second, utilizing what I remembered to coax out of her some thoughts on the whole idea of being mixed race and what that means. And in that second conversation, she opened up even more. It was interesting to hear her describe her family as a Petri dish, growing its own unique identity, a melange of Polish, American, and Iranian, without much input from other relatives. My own experience was something similar, and I had always described it as something akin to how Christianity developed in Asia after the first missionaries left. My dad had brought his culture with him, but along the way, over the last 50 plus years, it's found a way to mix and intermingle with the local culture in Kentucky. 
Susie's experience with her mother's culture was fascinating too. Her mom, a Polish immigrant, became the vector through which she engaged both sides of her family, learning Polish and getting to enjoy the deliciousness of Persian cuisine. But that hasn't sheltered her from experiencing anguish at the shifting political landscape in Poland. On the contrary, that shift to the right and open embrace of Islamophobia gives her a deep sense of anxiety about what's happening in Poland, where language was often a barrier to entry for her attempts to embrace the Iranian-American community. It was her darker features that made her stand out when in Poland. She could speak the language, but didn't look the part, making for some very interesting conversations. Even here, though, she can't avoid the feeling of being an outsider. If her darker, mixed-race features don't give it away, it's her name. But she was lucky to have grown up in Northern Virginia, where she was surrounded by other families filled with their own recent immigration stories. She could lean on her friends who were either immigrants themselves or, like her, children of immigrants. Those experiences help shape how she sees the world and makes her more sympathetic to causes and issues that call for more empathy and nuance. My conversation with Susie centered on three aspects. First, language is access, how language allows you to certain allows you certain perspectives that others don't get. Second, being Iranian American often means being separated from family and having to cope with the void of not having that experience. And third, even if you look the part, people will find whatever they want to push you outside the tent. What do you think? What stood out for you? Have you had similar experiences? Would a conversation like this be therapeutic for you like it was for Susie and myself? Let me know what you think. Shoot me an email at whiteadjacentpodcast at gmail.com or comment wherever you downloaded the podcast. Thanks for listening and don't forget to catch the other five episodes. Next time they ask you where you're from, you tell them I'm from every goddamn place you're crushing with your thumb. Next time they ask what kind of name, you tell them it's the kind you're scared of, but I'll say it just the same. And if they wonder who you are, Well, this time don't say nothing, you just pick up your guitar. White Adjacent is brought to you by Bourbon and Chai Media. Final production by Ian Martin. Interviews recorded by HeartCast Media, located in the DuPont Circle neighborhood of Washington, D.C. Music by Nima Samimi and his band Muhammad 7. The song, entitled Manifesto, comes from their debut album Muhammad 7 and the Spring. The album can be found on iTunes or on their website, muhammad7.com. And a special thanks to John Maines over at SB Works, a local nonprofit in Washington, D.C.'s Northeast Quadrant.